Good evening. We have followed Jesus from Palm Sunday through the events of Holy Week. And we come now to Friday morning, early in the morning, the middle of the night, whichever way you want to say it. And we come to the, um, the, his appearance before Pontius Pilate, the uh, mockery of a trial there again. We see what happens from that, and then we go uh, and we see the crucifixion. And so today we read Matthew chapter 27. We'll read um, all of the verses, 1 through 66. And there's so much here, though, that, um, that, that, that I am not going to cover in depth every verse, which is what I kind of like to do, but I cannot because of time. And so we will look at, um, at as much of it as possible and as, as in-depth as possible. But we're going to read the whole chapter and um, bring out some of the main points of the chapter. Matthew chapter 27, 1 through 66. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of, spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. Now as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him believe, deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, lama, la, ima, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure sealing the stone and setting the guard. We see, first of all, uh, when morning came, the next day, in the middle of the night, uh, early, early in the morning, they, the chief priests and the elders and the people of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. They had already, in their minds, condemned him to death, but they could not, by, uh, by Roman law, the Jews could not put somebody to death. So they had to have another conviction. They had to have another decision. They had to have another judgment passed on Jesus and so they had to take him to Pilate so they had him bound like he was going to run away 
uh, like he was a dangerous criminal. They had him bound and they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And Judas, having seen, seen this and heard that he was, um, that they had decided that they wanted to put him to death, was remorseful and took the 30 pieces of silver back to, the, uh, uh, to them and said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And, and every time we see, hear somebody talk about Jesus, all right, Judas even, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Pontius Pilate, why? What has he done wrong? This man has done nothing wrong. We can't condemn him. Everybody except for the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people, the elders of the people, everybody looks at him and says, he was an innocent man. He was a just man. He was a righteous man. There was nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. And so that's what Judas says. And he threw the, threw the pieces of silver in the temple and he went out and hanged himself because they said, what is that to us? You see to it. It doesn't matter. We don't care. We got what we wanted. We got what we wanted. You delivered him to us. We paid you. That's all we cared about. You deal with your own conscience and your own problems. And so they took the money and they bought a lot with it so they could bury strangers in it. And so, and, and um, uh, a potter's field to bury strangers in. And it's called the field of day. To the day that this was written, it was called the potter's field, the field of blood. And Jesus, going back to Jesus, in the, uh, stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Now, remember, this was the governor that was put in place by the Romans. It uh, wasn't really a great um, setup for him. Wasn't really a, it wasn't a promotion, if you will, because it was always a hotbed for uh, insurrection. The Jews didn't want to be ruled by the Romans. And, um, and there were a lot of insurrectionists that rose up and that were put down and that were killed. And uh, so it really wasn't a great place to further your career. But he was the governor put in place by the Romans. And he looked at Jesus and he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. It is as you say. And apparently after that uh, little admission, that confession, that comment, um, he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders. And who knows what all they were accusing him of. Um, but Jesus answered them nothing. He didn't say a word, not one word. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they accuse you of? And the Bible here says, but he answered him not one word. He didn't defend himself. And there's a reason for that. Jesus didn't need to defend himself, partly because he knew of his innocence. He knew of his sinlessness. He knew that he had done nothing wrong, that he had not broken Roman law, that he had not broken Jewish law, and he knew that he was the sinless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And partly because that's why he was there, to be condemned to be condemned on your behalf, to be condemned on my behalf, so that we wouldn't have to be condemned because he was condemned for us. And so he answered not a word. And at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing uh, to the multitude one prisoner. And it's interesting because this uh, Passover celebration was a Passover, uh, a celebration of redemption, a uh, celebration of life, if you will, because they... Um, because in Egypt, when they celebrated the Passover, the firstborn of those that celebrated the Passover and put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, the crossbeam of the door, did not die. And so, if you will, maybe this was a little bit of a symbol to them that, that he was just trying to appease the, the Jews by letting one prisoner go. And so he let him go, or, or he said to them, 
<laughs> and, they, and they had a prisoner, a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. It's very likely that Barabbas was also an, ins- was an insurrectionist. And what, what some people believe is that Barabbas was scheduled to be executed, scheduled to be crucified with the other two robbers. And that word for robbers there is a better uh, translation is rebel or insurrectionist. And so some people believe that Barabbas was the leader of those rebels, those insurrectionists, and he was the one that was scheduled to be crucified in the middle instead of Jesus Christ. And so he asked them, who should I release to you? Who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Now also, if you look in some of the um, uh, other texts, the Alexandrian and the Egyptian texts, there's another word that's added to this, another name that's added to this name, Barabbas. And it's interesting because the name is Jesus, Jesus Barabbas, Jesus, son of Barabbas. And so we have Jesus, son of Barabbas, and we have Jesus, son of God, or Jesus, um, uh, the Christ. And so he asked them the question, who do you want? Do you want Jesus Barabbas, or do you want Jesus the Christ, the one who is called Christ? And while he was doing that, and while they were going through all of that, and a note came from his wife that said, have nothing to do with this just man. Again, this just man, innocent, just, he's righteous, he's done nothing wrong. For as she says, I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And so the chief priests during all of this are going out, probably going around in the crowd, rabble-rousing the crowd and saying, telling the people, um, Ask for Barabbas to be released. Tell them you want Barabbas released. Tell them you want Barabbas to be freed. Tell, tell them you want Jesus to be crucified. Tell them you want Barabbas to be released. Tell them you want Jesus to be crucified. And so he asked the question again, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. Let him be crucified. And the governor looks at them and says, why? What evil has he done? And they don't have any answer to that. There's nothing evil that Jesus had done, that Jesus Christ had done. And so they don't answer that question because they have no answer to that. They say, let him be crucified. They completely ignore and skip over that whole question. Let him be crucified, they say. Now I want you to notice something else. Oh, and then Pilate saw that he couldn't, couldn't prevail because a tumult was arising. It was about to have a riot. They were about to go nuts. They were about to... Uh, um, about to lose control. And that's one of the things that he didn't want to happen. And so he took some water and washed his hands. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. He got that word just from what his wife said. And he testifies to his innocence the same way that she does. I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. You see to it. And the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. His blood be on us and on our children. And most of the time, I mean, you look at that and what they're saying is, is, um, you know, we'll be guilty of the ones that put him to death if it's a wrong thing. We'll take the, the guilt and the judgment of putting him to death. But there's really two ways that his blood can be on somebody. One, his blood can be on you for judgment, which is what they were willing to accept. And the other one is the blood of Jesus Christ going to be on you for redemption and for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ washes all of our sin away. The blood of Jesus Christ it was shed so that you might be forgiven of sin, so that I might be forgiven of sin. And yet that's not what they were saying. We're willing to be called guilty of having him put to death 
because that's what we want so badly. And then came from, of course, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people. So Pontius Pilate released Barabbas and he had Jesus scourged and delivered him to be crucified. Barabbas was released. And so what we see here is we see Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God, taking the place of Barabbas on that cross. And the truth of the matter is he took your place. He took my place. He took the place of every human ever to walk on the face of this earth because every one of us deserved to go to that cross when he did not deserve to go to that cross. And yet he took our place so that he could die, take on the punishment for our sin, rise from the grave, conquer death, sin, hell, and the grave, and give to us eternal life. He had him scourged. And this, this, is, this is, I mean, cat and nine tails, a whip that had strands of leather coming off of the end of it. And on the end of each of those pieces of leather was some kind of broken pottery or glass or some ball of, of, of metal that would just continually bruise and beat and eventually tear the flesh of the person that they were whipping. 39 times they beat him. And it's interesting how in the Gospels they say they had him scourged, but they don't give any, any explanation. And the reason is because all the people that read this at that time, all the people that they were writing to then understood what that was. And the same thing with crucifixion. And then they crucified him. You know, And they, they don't give any um, explanation of that because they knew what it meant. They didn't need to understand all of the pain and the suffering like we do because we've never seen a scourging or a crucifixion. So they scourged him and delivered him up to be crucified and the soldiers of the, of the governor took him to the praetorium. They gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped off his clothes and put a scarlet robe on him. The scarlet was a color uh, that stood for royalty. They twisted a crown of thorns, a crown, and they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand, a scepter for a king. And they bowed down before him. They bowed the knee before him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Making fun of him. They spat on him. Which, was probably, which is, was, and is probably one of the greatest insults anybody can give you to spit on you. And they took the reed and then they struck him on the head and beat that crown of thorns down further on his head. And after they'd finished mocking him, they took the robe off of him and put his own clothes back on him. And I want you to know, we don't know how long it, they did this. We don't know how long this lasted. The whole garrison were making fun of him. It must have taken some time. But when they put that robe on him after he had been bleeding so much, it probably, probably stuck to that wound just a bit. And then they ripped it off. It caused that uh, excruciating pain again and caused um, that, those wounds to begin to bleed again. And they brought him out and they put that cross beam on his shoulders. And it was customary for them at that time to, uh, for the, the condemned man to carry the cross beam of their cross. Not the whole thing like we see in many paintings and pictures, but just the cross beam of the cross. And yet it was massively heavy. And Jesus, after his uh, long days, after the night without any sleep, after the, the passion that began in the garden with his praying and him sweating drops of blood, after all of that and the, the staying up all night and being beaten and scourged and the loss of blood and the dehydration, he didn't have enough power, didn't have enough strength, didn't have enough energy to carry the cross. And so they met a man, Simon of Cyrene, and they compelled him to carry the cross. And they took Jesus down the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, and took him out to the place of the skull, Golgotha. And they gave him some sour wine with gall. And some people believe that the sour wine was just meant to dull the senses a little bit, to relieve the pain. Some people say that it might have even been full of poison. 
so that once they nailed him up on the cross, his death would come even sooner. Jesus, wanting neither one of those, whichever one it was, didn't want the sense of pain to be dulled, didn't want to lose any kind of um, uh, senses. He wanted to, to feel the, 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 the whole thing. He wanted to know what was going on, wanted to be completely in his full mind and full thinking and didn't drink it. And it says, then they crucified him. They took that beam, and we don't know exactly how it was done, but they put his, the nails through his wrists, and maybe they tied his arms up just a little bit. They put him down on the, on the other, the upright. They put the nail between both of the feet, the feet together, and put the nail in the, between the feet and put that, uh, um, that cross in the ground. And Jesus hung there between heaven and earth. They divided his garments among them to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And then they kept watch over him and to make sure that nobody would come and take him off of the cross. Make sure that nobody would come and, um, and free him. That this supposed insurrectionist would not be freed by his followers. And they put a sign above his head, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And there were two that were crucified next to him. And again, that word, we call them thieves on the cross, but that word better uh, gives us the picture of the idea that this, these two were insurrectionists. They were rebels. They were two who were trying to overthrow the Roman government. And everybody that walked by made fun of Jesus. They mocked him. They blasphemed him. They made fun of him. They said, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. What they didn't realize is that's exactly what was happening right there. The temple that he was talking about was his body. And on the cross there, that was being destroyed. And in just a few hours, the rebuilding would begin. And three days later, the temple would be rebuilt. The temple of God in Jesus Christ, the Son, would be rebuilt. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. I love it. And because later on uh, in the next verse... Oh, well, in verse 42, the chief priests say something like that. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. Notice they don't say if you're the son of God. They say if you're the king of Israel. So either one of those two things, but here's the thing. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. I find it very interesting that, that they were giving him something that he was unwilling to do to prove that he was who he really was. He was unwilling to come down from the cross. Remember when he was in Gethsemane and he said, I could call 12 legions of angels to, to take care of this problem here. He could have done the same thing when he was on the cross and yet he absolutely refused because that's what he was there for. He was there to die on that cross. That was the purpose. That was what he intended to do. There was no way that he was going to come down from the cross. It would have been interesting if one of them would have said, if you are the son of God, strike this man next to me with, a, with a, a, a lightning bolt. But they weren't willing to do any of that. You know? If you are the son of God, show us in some great mighty way. But he didn't want that to happen then either. Because his purpose was to stay on the cross. His purpose at that point was not to convince all of them standing around that he was the son of God. His purpose was to die as the Son of God, so that we could live to become children of God. And the Bible tells us that from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, in English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some believe that there was another cup 
that he didn't drink, that he didn't drink from at the Passover celebration, and it was the cup of protection, that he had the disciples drink from that cup, but he didn't drink from that cup. And at this time, here from these three hours, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, the protection of God was lifted from him. That's what some believe. But what we know is Jesus simply said, why have you forsaken me? The father turned his face away. And for the first time in forever, Jesus Christ did not have the one thing that he had always had. That was the intimate fellowship with his, with his father, God the father. Why have you forsaken me? And of all the pain and all of the suffering that he went through, that was probably the worst. No, that was the worst. The worry and the fretting, the prayers, the sorrow even unto death, the sweating great drops of blood, the lack of sleep, the scourging, the mockery of, by, by, by the, the mocking by the uh, crowds and by the, 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 the soldiers, the crown of thorns, the beating on the head, the pulling of his beard and the spitting on him, none of that compared all of that paled in comparison to the pain that he felt when the father turned his face away. Some thought he was calling for Elijah, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they took a sponge and filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it something to him to drink. And they said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And it was about that point when Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and what he cried was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And what we see is that this was something that he did. He chose. He chose the day. He chose the time. He chose the hour. He chose the minute. Uh, John um, 10, 17, and 18 says, My father loved, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. He yielded up his life. He decided at what moment he would yield up his spirit and take his last breath. And we see some miracles happening after that. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split, graves were opened, bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and they came out of the graves after the resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the centurion and those with him were uh, greatly feared, and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. And that phrase probably is better translated, truly, this was a righteous man or a Son of God. And they were probably not yet to the point where they believed that Jesus was, as we believe, the Son of God. They might have believed that he was a son of one of the gods, but not that he was son of the God, creator God, Yahweh. And those are the things that happened. I, I love this idea, this veil of the temple. You know, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. First of all, there's, there's two possibilities of this veil of the temple. And some people think that, that, um, that this veil of the temple was a, a veil that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. I believe that's in Ephesians. And uh, where Paul writes about that being, that, that barrier being, um, being taken away. And some believe, as I do, that that veil was not that veil, but it was the veil that separated the 
temple from the Holy of Holies and protected people from going into the Holy of Holies. Because the Holy of Holies is the place where the, the um, chief priest would go one time a year to offer atonement for the sins of all of Israel. Go into the presence of God. And now that veil of the temple was torn in two and everybody who trusts in Christ could, um, could enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus who washes all of our sin away. And there were women there that had followed Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And they were watching. And so they knew when Joseph of Arimathea came and Joseph was a rich man from Arimathea and he was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus so he could give him a proper burial. I mean, it was a, a holy week and they didn't want the bodies hanging on the, on the cross to defile the land uh, during holy week. And so he got the body of Jesus Christ, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. Now, there's some interesting things about this. It was a brand new tomb. Joseph of Arimathea had spent some time, some effort, and probably quite a bit of money, a large sum of money, building, hewing out this tomb, digging out this tomb in the rock. And the other thing that's interesting is, according to their tradition, if, if one body from one family was laid in that tomb, no other family could be buried in that tomb. So now that Jesus has been laid in there, Joseph of Arimathea had to dig another one for himself. And so he gave up something that was of great wealth, a great amount of money, so that he could give Jesus Christ a proper burial. And the women followed him, saw where he took the body. And the Bible tells us that he laid Jesus in his new tomb and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Jesus is dead. Wrapped in burial cloths. And yet, and yet the chief priests and the Pharisees still aren't satisfied. Wanting to not take any chances saying, some people say he's going to rise from the dead. We've got to make sure that that um, the disciples don't come and steal him in the night. We need to make sure it gets... So they go to Pilate. And they say, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how he, he said, After three days I will rise. How? The deceiver. The deceiver. Remember? You notice that? Isn't that so funny? What the irony and all of that? They are the ones who are doing the de deceiving. They are the ones full of deception and of lies. Jesus never lied one time. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So commanded the tomb be made secure. And he said, you do it. Make it as secure as you can. So they went, and this is what it says here, and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. You know, there's some interesting things about all of this. One of them is, of course, the fact, the truth that Jesus took your place and my place on the cross. 
that he would have gone to that cross if it was just you or me or just one person, one other person, that he went to the cross, died on that cross for the sins of mankind, for the salvation of many, for the washing away of our sin. I also find it interesting that when you think about the Passover lamb and about Passover, the lamb of the Passover had to be spotless, had to be without blemish. They could find nothing wrong with it or they had to find another one. If they found something wrong with that lamb, it could not serve as the Passover lamb. And yet, Jesus Christ had to die to be the Passover lamb. And those who put him on trial, in order to, for him to die, he had to be falsely accused. They had to find something that, that was false to accuse him of. Because there was nothing. Everybody that testified about Jesus said, innocent, just, he has done nothing wrong. And so the one innocent, perfect son of God died as the spotless, sinless lamb of God under false accusations of sinfulness so that our sinfulness can be forgiven and washed away. Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for your son. God, I pray that as we read and study and look into the events of Jesus' life during Holy Week, that our commitment to him becomes stronger and stronger, that we are willing to do what he calls us to do and to live the way he calls us to live. And Father, if there's people that don't know Jesus that have watched these, God, I pray that they will understand the truth and the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was a sinless, perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and that their sin can be taken away by trusting in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.